If you would, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. And then stick your finger there or something else to keep it. And turn to Ephesians, chapter 5. Luke 17, beginning at verse number 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. And then in Ephesians 5, verse 19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't usually give titles to my sermons. Dave has been known from time to time to email me and say, what, what should we put this under? Um, but today I will call this a meditation on gratitude. Last Sunday we finished a series on miracles. And while our text here is about a healing, healing of ten lepers, I mention it in light of the gratitude shown by one man, one of the ten, a foreigner, a Samaritan, and the ingratitude or lack of gratitude seen in the nine. If we begin to grasp what it means to be a creature and a part of God's creation, and if we who are creatures are dependent by nature, and if we acknowledge that we are recipients of God's grace, then we should, in fact, have a disposition toward gratitude. And yet, as more than one author has noted, we tend to be an ungrateful lot. We need to realize that gratitude is a disposition. It reminds us that we are not alone. We are not solitary creatures. We are not creatures that owe nothing to no one. You know, double negative, but we, in fact, owe to everyone around us. Gratitude points to our dependence, that we are dependent upon others. And gratitude by its very nature is outward looking. doesn't focus on the self, but focuses on others, those who have given uh, something, uh, a benefit, um, and we respond with gratitude. If we are grateful then somehow we are released, we are emancipated from the prison of self-satisfaction and self-concern. Which I think is a constant temptation. In thinking about the, the practice of gratitude, one author has noted, if we really understand our lives as redeemed by costly grace, then our primary response can only be gratitude. It's at the center of the Christian life. Another author put it this way, grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Gratitude follows grace like thunder follows lightning. Uh, 
If, in fact, the essence of God is grace, then the essence of being human or being a human being, certainly as one of God's people, should be gratitude. It is worth noting that the word gratitude comes from the Latin word gratia, which means grace or graciousness. In the same way, in Greek, uh, grace, charis, and thankfulness, thankfulness or thanksgiving or gratitude come from eucharista. They come from the same root. So that grace and gratitude are, are tied together, whether we see it or not. If they are tied together, then why are they not more prominent in our lives and in our living? One of the issues, I think, that I'd like us to consider in this meditation is that we tend to think of gratitude as an individual practice. Much has been written about gratitude in the Christian tradition. It's certainly a central theme in scripture. But let me read you um, something from a devotional book. A thankful life is a response to seeing life as a gift from God and realizing that our lives belong to God. God is the giver and we are the thanks givers. To be grateful is to recognize the love of God in everything. He has given us and he has given us everything. Every breath we draw is a gift of his love. Every moment of existence is a grace, for it brings with it immense graces from him. Gratitude, therefore, takes nothing for granted, is never unresponsive, is constantly awakening to new wonder and to praise of the good of God. For the grateful person knows that God is good, not by hearsay, but by experience. And that is what makes all the difference. It's wonderful stuff and, and certainly true. I think even non-believers would acknowledge that being thankful is important to the well-being of the individual. Psychologists proclaim its importance for our mental health and for our happiness. Paul tells the Ephesians that we are always to give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This I think we all acknowledge, but I think what we overlook is the importance of gratitude as a practice for the community, for the community of faith, for the congregation. We tend to think of it as an individual practice. Um, if you go back, you get a chance today or later on in the week, and go to Ephesians 5, you will notice that what Paul writes about giving thanks has a communal context. He's not speaking to individuals, but to the group, the church there in Ephesus. He says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God. In thinking about the practice of gratitude, I think it would help us, as is often the case, if we think in terms of its opposite. It somehow gives us insight. And the opposite of gratitude is ingratitude. By the way, there was a time when I was thinking, what will be my text for this meditation, that I was considering Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Um, and what does it say? For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That in fact, the step away from God begins with refusing to give thanks. A heart of ingratitude. A Swiss writer and philosopher, an atheist, 
Alain de Botton, in his book, The Architecture of Happiness, which came out in 2006, discusses the nature of beauty in architecture and how it's related to the well-being and generous contentment of the individual and society. Um, four years later, or six years later, he wrote something called Religion for Atheists, subtitled A Non-Believer's Guide to the Uses of Religion. And he looks at some of the more interesting, for him, and consoling benefits of religion for those who happen not to believe in it. And his, the book, purpose of the book is, okay, we don't believe this stuff is true, but you know, it actually is kind of helpful if we put this into our lives. Um, he suggests that rather than mocking religion, agnostics and atheists should instead steal from it because the world's religions are packed with good ideas on how we might live and arrange our societies. In writing about gratitude, this is what he writes. One of the differences between religious and secular lives is that in the former, one says thank you all the time. When eating, going to bed, waking up, etc. Why does the secular world tend not to say thank you? At the most obvious level, there seems no one to say thank you to. But more importantly, offering thanks for relatively minor aspects of life risk appearing unambitious and undignified. The sort of things for which our ancestors bowed down, we pride ourselves on having done enough work to take for granted. Would we really need to pause for a moment of gratitude at the oily darkness of a handful of olives or at the fragrant mottled skin of a lemon? Are there not greater goals toward which we might be aiming? In our refusal, we are attempting to flee a sense of vulnerability. We do not say thank you for a sunset because we think there will be many more because we assume there must be more exciting things to look, to look forward to. To feel gratitude is to allow oneself to sense how much one is at the mercy of events. It is to accept that there may be a point when our extraordinary plans for ourselves have run aground, our horizons have narrowed, and we have nothing more opulent to wonder at than the sight of a bluebell or a clear evening sky. To say thank you for a glass of wine or a piece of cheese is a kind of preparation for death, for the modesty that our dying days will demand. That's why, even in our secular life, we should make space for some thank yous to no one in particular. A person who remembers to be grateful is more aware of the role of gifts and luck and so readier to meet with the tragedies that are awaiting us all down the road. It is, in my opinion, a remarkable admission from someone who does not believe in God. But Dennis Hack of Ransom Fellowship, uh, a ministry that we support, writes about this. I do wonder why we Christians, at least in America, tend to be known more for being negative in outlook rather than for being thoughtfully, humbly, and unrelentingly grateful. Where do we start? Where do we start in the matter of gratitude? Well, a desire to express gratitude requires that we first sense that something is worthy of gratitude. I think that's where the problem lies. Um, as Bouton put it, uh, a glass of wine, a piece of cheese, a bowl of olives. Are, are, are these things to be thankful for? 
but we're still thinking of ingratitude. Think of what ingratitude does or what it can do to relationships, to communities, to families, to the workplace, to organizations. If we want to know what gratitude can do for us as a congregation, as the people of God here, then I think we need to stop and consider what ingratitude can do in the place of gratitude. Both of them, gratitude and ingratitude, are tied to the things that we notice. Ingratitude focuses on the negative, on the flaws, which will always be there. They will always be there. And there are things in a community, I think, that will at times disappoint a person. When we look for or yearn for or imagine some perfect community, then it will be easy to become dissatisfied with what God, in fact, has given us. You could say the same thing about relationships. If we have some ideal that this is what this person should be, um, then I think we will become dissatisfied and ungrateful. On the other hand, if we practice gratitude, we are more likely to notice the goodness and the beauty in everyday things. We have some contentment. We feel blessed. And we are eager to pronounce blessing on others, to say this is a gift from you or from God, and I thank you for it. I bless you for what you have done. We are able to delight in the very existence of another human being. As opposed to thinking... I wish you were dead. In a grateful community, individuals and their contributions are acknowledged and they are honored. And there is an ongoing testimony to God's faithfulness. Because as a community of faith, as a congregation, we experience God's faithfulness. I may not this week in a, in a particular way, but one of you may, and then you come and share, and I can be grateful with you for what God has done. The reality is every moment of every day is a gift from God, as I read earlier. Uh, but there are times when perhaps it seems that I've been forgotten, that somehow God has dropped the ball in my life. But then I come here and I talk to you, you talk to me, and then I'm renewed, I'm revived, because in fact... God has done something in your life, and I can be grateful for that. Expressions of gratitude make the community alive. They revive us. They make us alive to the word of God, to the spirit of God, and to God's work. As one writer put it, such a community, one that practices gratitude, is a beautiful land whose culture is grace and whose inhabitants see life as a gift. In this land, the land of gratitude, we often find abundant forgiveness and frequent celebrations. There was a person who was advising a particular group of Christians who were struggling with issues within the congregation. This person said, the truth is we can't stand the idea of not fixing each other. But insofar as we can fix people at all, we can only do it by forgiving them and giving them grace and leaving them to our loving Father. When we more fully understand the grace that God has shown to us, 
then we are able to then turn around and turn outward in gratitude and generosity. Gratitude becomes our home in the presence of God. I would say this is to be the heart of worship. This is what gratitude is about. This is where we begin the practice. This is where we learn what we then put into practice during the week. In the book of Psalms, worshipers are frequently invited to enter God's presence with praise and thanksgiving. Perhaps the most familiar is Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Remembering God's goodness and what God had done for the community in the past is at the center of Old Testament worship. It should be the center of New Testament worship as well. When we gather, we remember what Jesus has done for us. We sing about it. We eat and drink. We hear scripture read. We pray together. We are reminded this is what has been done and we are to be grateful. Jesus gave his life. He gave his life. We remember that in communion. By the way, I don't know if you recall, we, I read this every Sunday before communion. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, when we have the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, Thanksgiving, one small expression of gratitude is joined with the gift of Jesus himself. He has given us life and we say thank you. We express our gratitude. And then, when we are finished here, we go out and live in the world, and by God's grace, live lives of gratitude. Paul wrote a lot about Thanksgiving. He brings it up from time to time. Um, Earlier in Ephesians 5, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Neither should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. In Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Gratitude to God will lead to love for others. But what does it mean to be grateful? Because I think immediately we have the wrong idea that somehow we are to go perpetually with a smile on our face, uh, to be cheerful even in the face of suffering, tragedy, of injustice. Uh, If that's what you think, then you will be mistaken. And I think ingratitude will suddenly seem more appealing to you than gratitude. An author that I mentioned earlier writes, To live gratefully is not the same as denying the misery or evil around us. Gratitude involves knowing that we are held secure by a loving God and that the God we worship is trustworthy despite the newly unbearable sorrow we might encounter along the way. A capacity to be thankful in the midst of hard times requires acknowledging that we do not know the whole story. Gratitude is a crucial way in which death and destruction 
do not have the final word and cannot finally define us. I think gratitude is most striking when it is lived out in difficult circumstances. We need to recognize, I think that we do, but to remind you, that living when and where we do, the idea of being grateful, I think, is countercultural. And as a result, I think we find it more difficult to be grateful than perhaps those who have come before us did. Why is it that we find it so difficult? Beyond the fact that we are fallen and that we are sinners, we are self-centered. We live in an age of entitlement in which a significant portion of our economy, for example, goes to what are called entitlements. This has serious consequences. As one author observed, no gift can bring joy to the one who has a right to everything. If I think I deserve this and you give me a gift, why would I be grateful? This is what I deserve. It's only right that you would give this to me. We live in this country in relative security. So we assume that there will be, uh, there will be adequate opportunities for work, for personal fulfillment. And as a result, we come to imagine that we are entitled to this security. It's quite different from the world in previous centuries. They recognized that there would be loss, there would be setbacks, and that risks were part of everyday life. I don't think we think that way. In our society, we become dissatisfied with the way of life a way of life that is encouraged by the advertising we see around us. We feel entitled and we are not grateful. Also, I think we find it hard to be grateful because our culture's understanding of self-fulfillment is often tied to individual achievement. It's not usually associated with a community or with grace or a community of grace. To be fulfilled is that I, as an individual, will achieve something. I will be successful. I will be self-sufficient. When I say thank you, it is a painful reminder at times that I didn't do this all on my own. And that, in fact, others have given to me and I have been the recipient of many wonderful things. And as a result, we are not grateful. I think also when living when and where we do, our lives are packed with busyness, with responsibilities. And the place for gratitude is slowly squeezed out. But also, I think before gratitude comes wonder that you see something of God's creation and and somehow you just don't have the time. You just don't have the time to just be amazed at the beauty of what you are seeing. And it doesn't seem like a gift. Because if it was a gift, you would take the time to unwrap it, to look at it, to acknowledge it, and to be grateful. We just don't have the time. We just don't have the time. Finding the time to be thankful to God and others seems like, yeah, that's nice, but I just don't have the time for that. As a result, we are not grateful. 
Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So why this meditation on gratitude? Certainly things I've said here before. Why talk about it now? Well, we just finished the series on miracles. And I would say that the one thing that really stood out to me in the, in the eight sermons, but just in preparation and just the things that I saw, is the reality of believing for others, that we can have faith for others. And so, in fact, when we pray during the time of prayer, when petitions are mentioned, we are praying for others. We are believing for others. We tend to see faith as very individualistic. I must have faith. Well, you know what? If you're unconscious in a hospital bed, I don't mean to be light, but you can't have faith. You're not conscious. And as we've seen in various miracles, there are people who are near death, who are suffering, who are paralyzed. One could say who did not have the capacity to have faith, but their friends did. The centurion did for his servant. The royal official did for his son. The four men who lowered their friend through the roof, they did. I think we should consider the reality that this is the way it is for gratitude as well. It isn't just about me saying thank you. It is about us as a congregation having a disposition of gratitude. It should be a mark of any Christian congregation. It should be a mark of our congregation. So I said earlier, in the Old Testament, remembering God's goodness and what he had done in the past was at the center of their worship. And when we gather to worship, we remember the gift of Jesus bringing us salvation. And it should, in fact, bring us to a place of worship and a place of gratitude. I said earlier that the passage I read before we have communion speaks of the Lord Jesus when he was betrayed, that he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. When we have the Lord's Supper, we have a small expression of gratitude toward what Jesus has done for us. And then by God's grace, we can leave and go out and live in the world with a disposition of gratitude. But it begins here. We as a congregation, the Church on Melrose, we are to have hearts filled with gratitude. Let's pray together. Our Father, as terrible as it sounds, we often become tired. We get weary of saying thank you. I suspect we would learn to be grateful if these things were taken away from us. And then, by your grace, you would give them to us once again as a gift. We are so much like the culture around us. We are so busy. We've lost the sight of wonder. We've lost the heart of gratitude. We feel entitled. Of course you're going to give us our daily bread. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? May we, as a congregation, be marked by gratitude. May we be marked by faith. 
as we believe for one another, as we are grateful for one another, and not see being a Christian as merely something that we do as individuals. Forgive us for our ingratitude. Forgive us for being self-centered, thinking only of ourselves. Forgive us for failing to recognize your wonderful gifts, moment by moment, day by day. And as we are gathered as your people here, may we learn and relearn what it means to be grateful. And as we go out into the world, be marked by a disposition, a habit of gratitude. I thank you for your love, your great patience, your grace toward us. As we meet together, give us one heart, one mind, as we discuss the various things for our church, our finances, our plans, all these things. And then when we are finished, may your spirit and your grace go with us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.